0: All right. Hey, welcome back to the Hunting Roots podcast. It's brought to you by OnX Hunt. I'm going to tell you a little story about OnX, man. It went down today. I talk about it all the time that I use OnX all the time. I know folks think, man, he's just full of crap. He's just talking about it. It's a sales pitch, whatever. But man, I'm, I'm telling you, I do. I use it all the time, pretty much daily. Every other day, if not daily. But man, today, like I'm always talking about it, it went down. I, I came across a piece of property I've been looking at, and I found some birds that are always in the same spot, And but they cut across this one little piece of ground. And I, I was telling my family, I need that piece of ground. These turkeys are using it. They're crossing it. Maybe not spending all day, but they're crossing this little chunk of, of landscape. And I've just been thinking, I, I need that. I've got to have that. Uh, and, and so... I got to doing a little digging as you always do. And X is, is one of those deals, man. You got the property ownership, landowner information, who owns it, where they live. They got an address. You can go knock on a door, look them up. And in this particular situation, uh, these people were no longer a family had it. And so we'll start doing a little digging and. Man, you knock on one, you talk to one, you figure out who's got it now. It's so and so, and then so and so says, so and so's got it. And then you start looking at so and so. You pull up Facebook, find that person on Facebook. Boom, you go from total strangers. I have no idea who this person is to, oh my gosh, I've got some serious connections. Started with Onyx, ended up with Facebook. I've got the person I need to talk to. Going to go knock on the door tomorrow. And uh, it's just a beautiful thing. And again, it all started with Onyx finding out who owned that property. So, Make sure you've got Onyx in your phone. You need it. It's awesome stuff, and it works. Again, I don't care if you're turkey hunting, deer hunting, getting that private permission. It is good stuff. Hey, this week, we've got a cool conversation coming with a man named Russell Ginn. He's got an incredible story, and I've been trying to get him on. I think we did an article several years ago. Quite a story. Impressive dude. Doing some great things and doing it like nobody else does so let's get right to it let's get russell in and get the conversation started russell how you doing man doing good good man appreciate your time and uh opportunity to catch up with you russell how do you say your last name Gin. Gin. all right i think that's what i said on the intro there i was trying to figure it out i thought i want to go with again so <laughs> very cool man you've been busy today
1: yeah been uh been working pretty hard two locations that i've been bouncing back and forth between yeah so it's uh trying to get everything moved over to the new shop yep i start my day here in memphis and then make my way out there so
0: yeah yeah i got you man constant uh constant motion and moving and and lots of pieces and parts and y'all kind of (laughs) spread out i guess at this point right
1: yeah it's it's one of those things that's you know the old shop is moving too so it's kind of a headache there and so, but everything is. I um, mean, we've not stopped. So, yeah,
0: that's cool. Well, Russell, man, kind of tell us a little bit about you, who you are, where you're from, and and kind of how you got started. We'll roll right into how you got started hunting, but uh, kind of give us the backstory on Russell.
1: Uh, well, my name is Russell Ginn. I am uh, forty two years old, I believe. I'd have to ask my wife. There you go. I uh, work for Rolling Thunder Game Calls. Uh, I had my own line for a little while named peg legs customs Uh, i've been building game calls now for about 17 years total okay and uh just a passion of mine i always like to work with wood and different materials and i was uh i guess 18 19 years old when i started turkey hunting and uh kind of i felt like it was kind of late but looking back it was probably the best time to start for me uh I was wise enough to kinda understand I needed to be patient, but still young enough to not listen to myself and get up and chase stuff. So Yeah, yeah. I hear you. But also that was also one of the things that started me making calls was uh, you know, I looked at it as somebody else was making them, why couldn't I? Yeah. And uh started tinkering around, made a lot of firewood and Mm -hmm. uh finally started getting some stuff out that I liked and people liked and people yep. started asking for things so yep. that's how it kind of got started
0: yeah very cool now what came first for you as far as your hunting passion was it deer turkey what 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 kind of set it off for you from those early days
1: it was turkey um yep. i went through hunter's education and all that and i actually got to sit in the, you know a stand with a buddy of mine uh and that kind of like just that feeling, that cold morning air on my skin, you know, mm-hmm. seeing my breath and yep. watching some does out in the field, you know, that kind of kicked it off. Yeah. But then it was like, you know, come into March, first of April, you know, hearing the turkey gobble the very first time. Yeah. And that just lit a fire. And, you know, I always told myself if I had one animal, you know, to hunt the rest of my life, it would be a turkey. Yep. You know, it's just something about that animal.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, no. There's nothing like it for sure, and that, they, that's what we've said so for so long. Is man the gobble <laughs> of a wild turkey is uh, it drives man crazy to do crazy oh, yeah. things, and, and it just <laughs> every year. And you say you've been making calls for a long time, and we'll get into the call business and a little more, a little bit further on down the line here. But what were what are some of those first calls you delve into from the beginning?
1: Uh from the beginning, it was like primarily turkey. Uh, just did pot calls and uh, I got this little jig you know and it was like called something like the perfect call or something and you could make mouth calls well the company wasn't really big and you couldn't buy supplies or anything like that at the time and so we you know I would stretch out latex cut rubber gloves I'd find different things to make more supplies and it was it was scarce like it was some of the stuff that looking back, I was like, man, I don't think that was very sanitary, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but I did that for a little while and I liked the, the thought of being able to make a diaphragm calls. And, uh, just like I said, back then I didn't have connections or anything like that. Didn't know where to go to get supplies or anything like that. Yep. And so I kind of, uh, had a man take me under his wing and teach me how to build box calls. Mm. and. um uh, he still is building box calls to this day, um, and anytime I, you know, got a question about something or thinking of a new wood or something like that to try, you know, I always run it by him. And- yeah,
0: very cool. Hey, did you ever meet the guy? You when you said box calls earlier. Uh, I always think of, uh, Mr. Robert Cliff. Did you ever meet him at any of the shows down there in Memphis? Oh, uh,
1: we did. We, okay. me and the guy that I used to eat, uh, that taught me how to build box call actually learned from Mr. Cliff. Okay. And we would go to uh, the hut there in Somerville and eat breakfast with him, you know, once or twice, you know, a month or something like that on a Friday. Yeah. Okay. And, um, just the knowledge that he had just, not even about the calls but just turkey hunting in general yeah. was just worth the time yep. yep. but he he was very i actually own one of his calls and uh that's kind of one of my prized possessions absolutely so. man
0: i loved that dude it was so cool uh he and and uh mr george brent that was a big predator hunter uh mm-hmm. he kind of mentored me got me into coyote he was up in bolivar but uh I remember seeing those guys at the show, I guess it was Mid South Hunting, Fishing Extravaganza or whatever it was down there at the Agri Center and uh, man it was so cool because he would always he would all, I'd go by and, and you'd just see him over sitting at that booth and when he'd see you coming, man, he'd start rapping off on that box <laughs> call and he'd call you in, literally call you in. Exactly. You couldn't have, he had that just that man, that charming grin and, and uh you go over there to him and and he probably I don't know, man, he always he always acted like he knew me and man, by golly, he'd say something that I thought, man, he did he doesn't remember me from the last time and um just sharp as attack and, and oh, yeah. of course I loved his story. I think it was called The Last Call is what was his uh-huh. That's
1: it. was
0: his box call. And of course I love the story of that. Just the mm-hmm. um and the last call Turkey's ever gonna hear, but he also, you know, was always sharing the Lord with people in that last call exactly. and, and, and so it was just man, he was just right up my alley. I, I enjoyed him and I wish I could have seen him uh you know one of the one more time before he uh, oh yeah passed on it's man some of those guys oh gosh dog it's just those are some of the legends that you know the hunting industry may never hear about some of those guys on the smaller scale but man they sure had their stuff down and like you said so knowledgeable about the yeah. turkey woods and how to make a call and um, i sure miss that generation of folks no doubt
1: oh yeah yeah. Yeah. The, the gentleman that, that taught me, his name was Charles Petrie. And okay. uh, he, uh, I mean, he's the same way. Like he can tell you stories or or you can call him with a scenario that you've been in, you know, in the turkey woods and he can say, well, this is what I would have done or, you know, this is how you beat that type of turkey, you know. It, yeah. It's just, they grew up different. You know, they didn't have the technology we have today or like Onyx or anything like that yeah. where you could kind of map out. It was, True diehard hunting. They knew it, and they, so, yeah, they, exactly. they were
0: they were living and hunting off experience. Man, that was their. They had yep. experience, you know, and you know, you mentioned x and I, I love it. I just talked about it. It's just a tool I use every <laughs> yes. day. But gosh, <laughs> dog, it's. I tell people all the time, man, don't don't trade out your your social media know how and your oh. phone apps and all the stuff for for solid woodsmanship and experience. Exactly, you're not going to get that on a phone. Nope. You know, it's a great tool, but. Man, that guy that that guy that's been doing it for so many years—he's killed so many turkeys, or he's been on in on so many turkey killings. He knows his stuff. He's been there. You oh, cannot yeah. trade anything for for experience, and those guys have got it. They got it good. And uh, man, the stories they could tell, and and just uh, <laughs> it's just a, such a wealth of information. I, I love those kind of guys, and uh, his name rings a bell for sure. I know I've heard that name. I don't guess I know him as well, but. Uh,
1: He's his name of his uh, his company is the Plain Jane Box Call. Okay, and uh, okay, he's there in uh, Hickory With. Okay, so. I got you. Very cool, man. Well, tell
0: me this before we get back into calls, tell me about your football career because I, I know I've heard a little bit about that as far as <laughs> um, man, just being a, a stud on the uh, football field and and. <laughs> Kicking the snot out of a, kicking the snot out of a football, man. <laughs> Tell us about what's your kind of your football career as far as that, how that went down.
1: Yeah, I, I started here. I mean, I went to Craigmont there in Raleigh, yep. and uh, I played. I was a place kicker. I, I started off as tight end, defensive end, and t- to be honest, I got tired of all the running, mm. and uh, I figured, you know, kickers. My dad was a kicker. He went to President. He kicked there, and uh, so I was like, man, you know, my dad you know, teach me a few things. So sure enough, he did. He was a, you know, a traditional or what do you call it? The straight on kick. Yeah. And I had more of a soccer background. And uh, so I took up the soccer style and, uh, you know, it kind of, kind of came natural once I got the fundamentals down and grow, growing up, we had a uh, old church parking lot beside us that had just a power line, you know, went across the parking lot. And I think it was like the day after our season ended, man, I started kicking football Mm. and I would just go out there and kick over the power line, you know, and I'd get up 10, 15 yards from it, kick over it, you know, and it got to the point where I was at the sidewalk kicking over the power line. Mm. And uh, so the next year, spring practice, you know, kicked in doing two a days and uh, I didn't take in consideration that the height of the power line so that was adding another 10 15 yards <laughs> distance yeah. and so they you know they said all right let's go out for you know special teams or whatever and so i started kicking man and i was just blasting them yeah and uh they were like man what did you do you know your off season to be able to do this and i was like i just kicked over power lines Boone you know over power line that's and it gosh. and that was that was kind of you know my workout yeah and uh so from there I won uh, All-Metro, All-City, All-State, first-team All-State. I ended up playing in the Arena League uh, and did that for two and a half, three years total. Okay. And that was a blast. Yeah, man. I I mean, it's something, you know, you're coming out of high school, everybody says that's the best time of your life, you know. Right. when you get that break you start missing it and you know it's you realize that that's the true you know true statement that that, it, that was the best time of your life for the most part yeah. and uh the camar- camaraderie and everything else that you know comes with being on a team i got you know a second chance with that so yeah, man. that was pretty awesome absolutely um, and tell me your tell me that
0: distance again you said 58 yards what was it
1: 58 yards on off the ground i I kind of tooted my own horn a little bit when I was in high school, and I knew I was going to be playing college. Sure. And I knew they didn't use a block or anything to kick field goals with, so I kind of taught myself to kick off the ground. And yeah. so uh, longest pump was 72 yards. It took Good one gosh. bounce in the end zone. Holy smokes. All I remember hearing was Coach hollered down it. Yeah. And yeah. it was too late. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my
0: gosh, man. That is That's some downtown – booting that's 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 crazy man very cool well i know like i said when we first met you uh several years ago WTF uh show and and came by your booth and and obviously your booth is uh, you know with peg leg customs was one that caught our eye you know a very uh good looking booth you had very well done uh nice setup but i mean obviously the name you see the name peg leg customs and then uh, of course, you're like, oh, that's cool. What a great name. And then you start re- <laughs> kind of thinking, where, to, where does this come from? And then, man, I saw you. I guess you had a uh, you had a machine, chair, all-terrain uh, yes. ride. But, man, the thing that caught our eye was, was seeing you and, and seeing why uh, the name Peg Leg and, and, and seeing uh, the obvious there, you sitting chilling there in the booth. And you had bottomland. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you had bottomland prosthetics at that time. Yep. <laughs> and um, I don't know if you still do or not, but that was a, that was the thing that caught my caught my eye and my attention really quick is like, my gosh, man, one hand I'm sitting here, um, you know, obviously admiration. And then I think, how (laughs) cool is that? I mean, uh, devastating situation, not even knowing your story, but then at the same time immediately thinking that's the coolest thing in the world. Dude's got (laughs) bottomland prosthetics, man. And, uh, you know, for both legs. And so, um, so obviously, um, you know, just going to kind of walk back on that story. I don't know how, tough that is for you to share but man just walk us through you know walk us through that day when uh your accident and, and how things came about from you going and playing football and uh and the arena level and uh being a scrapper from that standpoint to to encounter a situation that that, that definitely slowed you down and took you in a different direction altogether
1: yeah it's no issue at all uh yeah, the football days—they started wearing on me, and it was one of those things where I just got tired of traveling, like being away, being you know away from home. Uh, and so I decided I was going to hang my cleats up, and I went back to work at uh, a steel fabrication shop, and uh, they make this product what they call billet, uh, which is just long i mean they could be 200 300 400 foot long just round beams Mm. um i think the the end product for those is like seamless pipe okay but they they range between 10 inch diameter 20 inch diameter i got you and they would stack the steel up as like five you know on the bottom four three make a pyramid yep and so, the, the night of this, or the morning, I should say, I said it was 1.30 in the morning. Uh, I remember it was, like, storming just outside. It was just pouring down rain. And I got in the middle of this stack to start, you know, dropping insulation on, and the pile shifted. And, I mean, it happened in the blink of an eye. Like, there's nothing I could do. There was no time to react with this. It just happened so sudden. And uh it instantly pinned me up against another hot stack mm. and i looked back at Charles and he was caught too, but luckily it caught him by the boot. Like when it hit the other stack that it pinned me up against, it kind of teetered open. And so it just kind of caught him in like a V by his boot. He couldn't get out. Yep. Um, And so he started hollering and luckily there was about three guys at the end of the warehouse that saw us. And this warehouse, uh, I'm pretty sure it's safe to say you could have probably put three or four football fields in this thing. It's gigantic. And so, you know, he started hollering and uh, guys come running down there. They got the crane operator on the radio and, He uh, started coming down, grabbing beams and picking them up and throwing them back. And uh, it took them thirty minutes to dig me out. Uh, They got him pretty easy, but in the meantime, while you know we're both being pinned into a, you know something hot, I watched him go up in flames. Wow! Uh, His clothes just ignited, and he sat there and hollered and screamed and. So, I got to watch them, you know, douse water all over him, putting him out. And uh, they started, you know, pouring water on me just to make sure. And uh, I had, with it pinning me up against that that hot stack, it. I was wearing, like, leather gloves. Well, it turned those to, like, steel, like, rock hard. Wow. Uh, I started putting insulation. They started holding me up like they would stand on insulation and hold me off the stack. Mm. And they did this, like I said, for 30 minutes. And when they got the last, like the crane operator could pick up three, uh, three blooms at one time. Well, he went to get the last three blooms off of me and one of them dropped off and it re-rolled into me and crushed me before they could, get me out so technically i was crushed gosh. twice <laughs> Oh gosh! Oh. and so uh but after you know the initial impact is what i felt sure uh the heat kind of cauterized everything i didn't bleed out mm. the heat is what you know hurt the most at that point um but it gets to a point where it just quits hurting, you know, you're, you're burnt and that's it. So that's
0: what I was going to ask I'd, you, man. It, 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 I guess that's what my first thought was. How long are you feeling that heat and pain before it just, you're numb to it? I mean, you know what I'm saying? It, it, that would essentially happen.
1: Yeah. It didn't take long. Like it was, I'd say less than five minutes and like you just become numb to it. Yeah. Um, now, like if you started squirming around, you know, I, I sure. remember trying to when they had it down to that last bundle the guys that were holding me up grabbed these giant pry bars and you know tried to you know roll it off of me and i remember trying to move and i I knew i couldn't stand like i there was no way there was nothing there supporting me and um so they were they uh they finally got me dug out dragged me across the, the steel got me pulled off to the side and they started cutting you know Pants off, boots, and I remember looking down and watching them pull my boots off, and I remember watching, like, the skin come off with my boot, Mm. and I was like, oh, this is serious, like, (laughs) this really is happening, Yeah. and uh, they guys started to pull my gloves off, and I watched the skin, and I was like, no, let me, you know, I'll pull my own gloves off, so I pulled my gloves off, watched the skin pull off my hands, And uh till this day I still don't have feeling in my fingertips. Mm. Which is wow. it's kinda dangerous because, you know, I, I I don't feel it but I'll still blister or whatever. Yeah. And so like holding sandpaper to something spinning on a lathe or whatever, you, you know, don't I don't know, yeah. I don't know it. I'll start smelling something, I'm like, Oh, that's me. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But uh or I'll cut my finger and not not realize it and wonder where the blood's coming from Right, right. been there several times but uh but yeah it's they uh they got me all cleaned up they lathered my hands up with this some kind of concoction they had for burns and i think that's what saved you know you know saved my hands for the most part um they tried to airlift me out but with it being such a stormy night they couldn't get in and so the ambulance got there they uh uh i remember getting in the, getting in the ambulance and hearing the driver say he didn't know how to get to the med from there wow. and the guy back there with me was like you just need to figure it out like we got to get there now wow and all i wanted to do like i told i was talking to the people like i never screamed i never hollered cuz i I was a first responder being in, you know, the maintenance department and all that. We all had to have our, you know, first responders in each department. So I remember staying calm and trying not to get my blood pressure worked up, you know, and right. I stayed calm and talked to the guys helping me like I'm talking to you. Like, right. just there was nothing I could do about it, you know, just be in that moment, I guess. Yep. And so uh, I, uh, I always, like I said, always like a gearhead, always wrenching on something. I I knew, you know, the kind of, you know, legs and stuff that they were building nowadays. And so I instantly told myself, you know, I'll walk again. There's no doubt about it. You know, I'll get some cool prosthetics or something like that. You know? So
0: you already had it in your mind. You already had it in your mind.
1: I already knew, like, there was no way that these, that my legs were going to survive. Like, yeah and after they cut my pants off and I looked down, I saw the size of my calves and they were like the size of basketballs. Yeah. And I was like, yep, you know, this is, this is it. So, mm. uh, I remembered getting in the ambulance and, uh, like I was just wore out, exhausted, like sure. the adrenaline started coming, you know, dropping out on me. Yep. And, uh, I wanted to close my eyes and like, the guy back there was like, no, 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 I need you to stay. You know, I was like, listen, I've been up like going on like 12 hours. Like I just want to take a little quick nap. I'm not going to die on you. I promise. And so he finally, you know, let me close my eyes And every once in a while. He'd ask me a question. Yeah. And so I remember asking him, I was like, sir, whatever you have up under my feet, can you take it out? I was like, it's creating a lot of pressure and he never answered and so i was like sir you know whatever it is and he's like you're laying flat oh wow and that's where it kind of you know sunk in that you know my feet were just crushed like there was nothing so i remember getting to the med and then willing me out and putting me in this room that had doctors and nurses all running around in it and uh they put me under. And before I went under, I heard somebody say, not going to make it. Wow. And so I instantly, you know, said a prayer and said, Lord, if it's my time, I'm yours, you know? Yeah. And I, next thing I remember waking up and I was in a room and all my family was there and I looked down and there was like these steel structures on both of my legs. Mm. <laughs> and uh, the doctor came in and he grabbed my right leg and or my right foot and said, "Can you wiggle your toes?" And I tried and I couldn't wiggle them. He says, "Well, this one's cold." He's like, "This one you're definitely gonna lose." So he said, "You know, wiggle your left toes." And I could wiggle my left toes. And he says, "We can fix this one." He mm. says, "You're gonna be in good shape." He said, "You're probably just gonna lose one." So I had that going for me. He's like, yeah. it's going to be, a, you know, a long ride. He's like, you know, it's not a quick fix, but you'll have your, you know, your left leg. And so I was like, perfect. That was my plant leg, you know, in football. Yeah. It was, you know, I was thinking all the stuff that I could still do. Yeah. And so not being married at that time, you know, my dad was still there and I had just turned 30, you know, and uh, I... You know, looking back at like the decisions that my family had to make, and my dad had to make that you know put me in the place I am now yep. you know i don't I don't know if I could have done that for you know my girls, yeah you know that's that's a tough yeah. you know being as active as I was and everything else oh, yeah. um and so I know that weighed on them heavily, mm. but so he was having to sign off on all the surgeries and everything like that. And they started to work on me, and I went through, like, the first surgery. I think they, you know, took the right leg, uh, left it kind of, you know, raw, I guess you could say. And I guess it was too much for one, or I, I, I don't r- really remember the steps and all that. Like, that was something that I just, I never asked about. You know, I know I was in five or six surgeries total. Wow. But uh, so I know one of my surgeries, I had a really vivid dream uh, and it was like a hospital door, you know, outside. I was like in the little court area of the hospital and the doors just blew wide open and all these bodies and souls were being sucked out of this out of this hospital and going into this light and me free you know i was able to walk around it wasn't drawing me in or anything but i guess i was just curious and i remember walking towards the light and as i got closer to that light it it stopped it you know it went away and i remember waking up in my my room and my mom i think came up to me and just crying and was like you know, they they lost you there for a minute. You know, mm. and so that kind of really, you know, wow. set in with me like, wow. You know, I've always heard stories of you know, stay away from the light at the end of the tunnel, and yeah, and that was that. I vividly remember that, you and were right was, there, wow, I was there. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like it was my time. You know, it yeah. it didn't draw me in. Yeah, I was voluntarily walking towards it and yeah. as i got to it it shut off which told me later on when i got to thinking about it it wasn't my time to Not go your
0: time my gosh man so your mom said they almost lost you what what was what was going on there as far as what what had transpired so
1: my lungs had started failing okay. uh at that time i was smoking like two packs of cigarettes a day mm. and so my lungs had started failing on me yeah. and uh they when i woke up i was on a ventilator and uh so i was on a ventilator for several days uh when they stuck the ventilator in it messed up some of my vocal cords like i you know to me it always sounds like i've got like a marshmallow caught in my throat or something gotcha. but uh they uh I, I still have the notes where i couldn't talk i had to write and being so loopy on all the medicine and all that like looking back at some of those notes you yeah. know it's pretty hilarious or trying to figure out what i was saying yeah right somehow they, somehow they knew but yeah. uh but yeah I, i've got like a little scrapbook that my family kept for me of all the notes and stuff like that and right. you know every now and then i'll break it open and look at it but yeah. but well, yeah they uh <clears throat> go ahead well i was just say so is that when the
0: comment came? You said you heard one of the doctors or nurses say not going to make it. Was that, was that somebody referring to the fact they saw something going on with your lungs? Is, is that what that was? Or did you misunderstand what they were talking about?
1: I, I totally misunderstood them. What okay. they were talking about was they pretty much knew my right leg not wasn't going to make it. I got,
0: you. Yep. I got you.
1: And so that's when I woke up, you know, in the room with the steel structures, I was like, oh, that's what they were talking about. Okay. You know, yeah. I'm not going to die right now.
0: Yeah. Well, but, but, uh, give me a little more specific, please. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, good gosh! You imagine that you're fixing to go in and go under, <laughs> yeah. and that's the last thing you hear is not going to make exactly. it. Exactly. Thanks a lot, Doc. <laughs> Holy smokes! Well, but, uh, that's crazy, though, man. You know, and we often think about what's it like when you're uh, about to stand before God, and and your time oh, yeah. is is coming, and and you hear different stories and different people are like, yeah, right, whatever, you know. But man, that's that's a pretty. <laughs> that's pretty strong stuff there for you to, to see that light and, and see exactly. things happening going and whatever. And then to wake up and, and your mom's like, Hey, we almost lost you, man. That's, that's, that sounds like what you can only imagine a near death experience uh, oh, yeah. would be or is or was. And so crazy stuff. And like,
1: you know, I always do. I was like in fairly good health, you know, you know, yeah. never thought something like that would take me out, but sure. it was like, man, yeah. You know, but After that, you know, they, they, uh, they started shaping the leg and, you know, I had another surgery and, uh, then once they got my right leg kind of shaped and rounded and sewed back up, they started on the left leg. And I remember the doctors like, you know, you, you know, we got this, you know, this leg right here is going to be fine. We're going to go ahead and start, you know, trying to repair what we can possibly insert a rod, you know, and, you know, start, you know, the bone and all this. Well, going in, you know, I was pumped up that I was going to have, you know, one fake leg and one real leg. And I remember waking up and looking down at my legs and I didn't have any feet down there at all. Mm. And I'm like, "Mm, something went terribly wrong because Mm. I was supposed to have one of these, you know. Wow. And, uh, so my dad told me, he's like, look, they uh, had to sign, you know, they came in and told me that, you know, the bone had heated up so much, it killed the bone. Wow. And so they had no option other than to take it, which looking back, you know, it, it was a blessing yeah. because that would have been lots of surgeries, lots of pain, and I kind of pride myself on having a real high tolerance of pain, but yep. I can't imagine years and years and years of that same pain. Yeah. And so, um, that was a blessing in disguise. But you know, at that point in time, I didn't know how to accept it because at that point I knew I was going to have to start like a baby again yep. and crawl and relearn how to walk for yep. the second time in my life.
0: Yep. You go from like you said. Your body, your feet, your legs, literally being your business. You know, you're kicking a football, you're running, you're uh, busting heads, using your body for your business. And uh, to go from that to, like you said, man, just literally starting over again, like a child, like a baby, crawling, learning how to walk. You've got these uh, new legs, having to learn how to use prosthetics, (laughs) and, and just everything from... Uh, day one, starting back over. So, what did that process look like? You were in the hospital for how long before you finally got to go home?
1: I was in there five weeks at the med. And uh, then they put me in a step down unit at Health South where I learned to become independent in a wheelchair. Yeah. And once I left there, I went home uh, and spent seven months in a wheelchair, uh, literally doing absolutely nothing. Yeah. Um, couldn't sleep uh it was just you know my life you know the apartment i had they had to remove the door facings and the casings and all that so i could get my wheelchair into the bathroom and do different things uh it was just a big you know shock yeah doing something as you know as far as you know being able to just go do laundry i had to learn how to to maneuver a chair into a little hole, you know, and, you know, a closet or whatever to get laundry detergent or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, so it was, it was, it was different. Um, uh, I, I never, I've never had anything just beat me. And I can honestly say that that kind of, you know, living almost beat me. Yeah. Um, where I had to almost rely on people at some points in times, yep. uh, to help me. For everything. And, uh, For everything. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean everything, getting yeah. in the bathtub. I mean, anything yep. getting, like I said, going to the mailbox, you know, if it was icy outside, I had to stay in. I couldn't yep. do anything, you know? Yeah. When I graduated from the crutches, they gave me two canes and I couldn't, rem- you know, like I couldn't ever figure out how to walk with two canes. Right. So I kept one, uh, with me at all time and I used it and I remember wanting to go hunting again mm. and like, this was going to be a new adventure. I had a buddy of mine that, you know, he had carried me out with, you know, while I was in my wheelchair, he loaded the wheelchair up, loaded me up, took me to the ground blind, put me in the blind, something happened, calling, you know, that's yeah. And so I remember not even touching my gun that morning. Like I remember seeing deer and everything like, Mm. like they knew I wasn't going to shoot that morning. I literally Ah. just wanted to sit there and just see the sun come up and just watch everything. And that's what I did. And um, Mm. it was just good to be back.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And so the first time I went out on my own, I had my four wheeler. And I got stuck in sand, like, right off the bat. Oh, no. And uh, (laughs) I remember getting off the four-wheeler, putting my cane down, and when I put my cane down, it sunk, like, all the way down, Mm. like, to the handle. Mm. And so I manhandled the four-wheeler and got it out, and I went back home, and I walked in the house, and everybody was like, where's your cane? And I'm like, guess I left it. You know, I guess I, I don't need it after all. And so that was kind of a confidence thing for me was like knowing oh they told me that I would always have to have a cane, That's and right. now look at me you know I'm yeah. walking like I'm, like I used to
0: yeah buried the cane in the ground and <laughs> manhandle the foiler out and here you are yeah.
1: exactly and so that kind of gave me a little bit you know more of a boost sure. and of course there was there's times where I've have fallen and there's times I've hurt myself bad sure. And I mean, I know there's going to be days like that still ahead of me, but, uh, I can't tell you how many times I've fallen walking in blind, you know, a a stick or something. I don't feel it wrapped around my ankle or touching me or whatever. It knocks me down, but it's been, you know, I accept it. And it was one of those things that that's part of it. And I mean, I know grown men that can walk and trip and everything else with two perfectly good legs. So. Yep. always seem to feel like I'm doing all right. So that's right.
0: Well, man, that's, that was kind of one of my, my thoughts and, and questions was, was just that what is, what do those hunts look like? And you've, you've answered that pretty well, as far as the, uh, you know, from where you were, how hunts differ now and <clears throat> just those very things, things that you don't feel, uh, sticks that's in the way or briars wrapping mm-hmm. around your oh yeah uh, prosthetics. And, and you don't, you just don't feel until it's, it's grabbed you and knocked you down. and, Um, and so these days now you're, you're still chasing turkeys. You're still going, Um I still do it. Yep. And so what does that look like for you now? Do you, you rely on, uh, ground blinds like you're talking about, or you, what's, what's a turkey hunt look like for you these days?
1: Uh, I, myself, uh, I, I don't run and gun anymore. I've, it's more of a patience game now. I'm I'll sit and wait on one for the most part, uh, I can, I mean, I can run and gun, but not like I used to, like I can sure. pursue, but, um, uh, as far as trying to get ahead of one or something like that, I would rather just wait them out. Yeah. Uh, it's not a bad thing and it's kind of, I've been more successful waiting them out than That's chasing right. them down. That's right. Um, uh, deer hunting, I can still climb up in my ladder stands. I like, I do everything I used to. It just takes me a little bit longer. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I've, cool. I've duck hunted this year, and Spencer, you know, we he'd take us to his spots, and I didn't have to wear waders. You know, everybody else is out there <laughs> standing in water, you know, and I can, you know, step through water and never feel it. So <laughs>
0: never getting cold from the never so,
1: getting cold. yeah.
0: So where is that? Where were from amputated below? The, you may have said this, but below the knee, or where did they take that leg?
1: Yeah, I'm below. I'm uh, what they call a bilateral. Uh, it's below the knee. I got you. I got so you. I have it. Look, it seems like they've they only took about twelve inches, like a foot off of each hook. Yeah, definitely a foot off of each, but twelve oh. inches uh off of both legs. Now I got you. So I got
0: you, man. Well, dude, that's an awesome story that you're still going and and you know I think about you know you just talk about you have to be more patient now and and man that's one of those things that you know like you just said you're killing more turkeys now probably because uh that's the biggest struggle we all face is is just <laughs> is not being patient if we just sat there if we just slowed down we'd have killed the turkey and and so yeah. you've kind of been forced into that situation it's ultimately uh you know has helped you as far as your hunting goes and man my hat's off to you just the, uh just the story and the fact that you're still going and you've been through something that most people uh a lot of people if not most people would have thrown in the towel and said, I'm done. I'm not going to mess with it anymore. The doctor said, I can't do this, so I'm not going to do that. And you've kind of beat the odds and um, kept rolling with it. And, uh, man, what a great story just to hear uh, where you've been, what you went through, and uh, just the journey you've been on. Man, it's a tough one. Uh, But as I've told so many people, when you see stuff like this happen and you wonder, man, Uh, You 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 were right there, knocking on death's door, seeing the light, that near death experience, and for whatever reason, you know God's kept you here. So, man, I I, you know I always tell people God's got a a purpose for you, got a plan for you. He he didn't take you in that moment, so uh, we can only look ahead and say there's some good stuff coming in Russell's life, you know, to say the least for him to spare you and keep you here, and uh, and keep you you know doing what you're doing, and so very cool stuff, man. So tell me. Fast forward to, to where we are now. You're you're working with Rolling Thunder. What are you doing uh, these days with, with Spencer and the crew?
1: Uh, I was just given my title the other day. I am wood the woodshop manager for Rolling Thunder. So pretty Very much cool. anything wood related. It's I either make it, put my hands on it, build it, whatever. Nice. Uh, so my number one job is producing the pot calls and strikers for them um we uh have been running them 90 to nothing Mm. uh it's that time of year and even before turkey season we're still running pot calls i i have produced probably over seven thousand pot calls uh since i started working for them oh wow and uh it's it's an amazing job I, i mean i've never hated going to work yeah and it's I get to do the fun stuff now and do the design work and the you know pretty much design fabricate I can do it all now yeah. and that's the stuff I love yeah. and so it's it's I guess like a dream come true job you know it's yeah. it's the best of both worlds I get to be in the hunting industry and still do a a, a passion of mine which is work with my hands and yeah. provide turkey calls. so yeah.
0: Yeah, man, it's a good blend of everything. Like you said, just your passion for hunting, turkey hunting specifically, and then to make a call that someone's going to take to the woods and and call up a turkey. That's that's the coolest thing in the world. I've talked about that a number of times with different people. Just the fact that we take a call. I've got a wing bone sitting in here at my desk, and I talk <laughs> about it all the time. The fact that we can make something, particularly like that, you know, something from yeah. the wild. The same thing what you're doing with wood, man. You're taking a Uh, a a stick of timber from the woods creation and making that and shaping that into something that you're going to go back out there and call a turkey from those woods to your location. It's just a, it's an incredible thing. And for you to be able to be that craftsman to do that. And uh, it's gotta be a lot of satisfaction in that just to know you're making something that, that some dude's going to buy off the shelf, take it to the woods Mm -hmm. and experience something that, will blow his mind or her mind, oh, yeah. you know, calling up an animal, hearing a turkey gobble, uh, calling an animal, uh, you know, an experience that that person's never going to forget. Something that's going to make their heart race wild, uh, an adrenaline rush like nothing else. And you had a big part of that. I mean, you created that product. And so just a cool, cool thing. We stop and think about, uh, oh, yeah. just the impact of it.
1: That's that's part of it that drives me is the, you know, the thought of, you know, I can walk into any Bass Pro right now and, you know, there's product that I've made on the shelves or just any sporting goods store for the most part. And to see these people's reactions on social media or, you know, going to these shows and people's like, man, you know, I bought this call a couple of years ago and, you know, it's been the best sounding call I've used, you know, I've killed many turkeys, you know, I look at it like, you know, I didn't have my hands on it, but Spencer has made this company the way it is now by like you know, putting all these pegs in a row for the most part and everything lining up. It's I've I've actually, you know, seen like how fast this company has grown since I've been there. And I mean it's it's exciting to be a part of this. I'm excited to go to work every day because there's always gonna be pictures that somebody sends in of a bird harvested or you know whatever and they always take that time to put that call in the picture and, yep. and I've gotten my girls involved with it uh, I actually had my oldest Macy today uh, come up give me a hand laser engraving some you know some pot calls while I was down there sanding or shaping or whatever yep. uh, my youngest blue she has done everything from assemble strikers to package mouth calls and yeah. hot calls. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, they, they like to do it as, you know, as much as I do. Uh,
0: There's nothing like it, man. That is no. just so fun when they get that little spark of interest oh, yeah. and then you take them out there to get them in the, in the woods. And so best of luck to y'all on that, man. That's cool stuff. Yes, and so, well, Hey, Russell, tell us, are you on social media personally? I know you can tell us too, uh, as far as rolling thunder. I know it's got uh, quite a, Platform across the board from Instagram and, and uh, the YouTube channel and all the things that Spencer and Rolling Thunder are in. Are you on uh, any social media is on your own, or is it just need to find your uh, work through uh, Rolling Thunder?
1: I'm I'm on social media. I uh, I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, on Instagram, uh, that's primarily the one I, I check most often. Yep. It's uh Ruskin at underscore or Ruskin underscore uh R T G C. Okay. Facebook. It is uh just Russell Ginn.
0: Okay. So I encourage people to look you up and uh there as well as all the different platforms that rolling Thunder has and oh man, just some great stuff, great content. Spencer and the crew do a incredible job on their oh yeah oh uh, their podcast as well so you got the rolling thunder podcast as well as uh rolling thunder's youtube channel and i think it's been through mossy oak go and just mm-hmm. various places you can find their content so lots of great stuff with rolling thunder and uh Russell, man we're really glad to know you're in the mix and and best of luck to you as you make <laughs> the move to somerville man what a great move an exciting time of I've got a brother that's just down the road there in Oakland, so we get out that way a pretty oh, good yeah. bit. So, yeah, so I'm looking forward to getting down there and seeing you guys and, and really excited to see this new shop and everything that's going to come. I've kind of heard some of the plans and just yeah. the the desire for, for you guys to make that into kind of a, a destination place, not just a shop, but exactly. kind of a destination. That's going to be really cool to see come to fruition in the days ahead for sure.
1: Yeah, I keep walking in every day expecting, you know, everything to be done, but – it's uh, I'm, I'm looking forward and I know all the guys there at the shop is looking forward to it as well. Cause like I said, Spencer's got big plans and it seems like, you know, every time he's got plans, it happens. That's right. And so it, it's, it's going to be fun. It's, I'm, yeah. I, I'm I can't wait to have, you know, the elementary schools and field trips come through and actually yeah. see, you know, how production and stuff like that's done. So, yeah.
0: Very cool stuff. Well, man, I appreciate your time. Can't thank you enough. And, and, really just excited for what's going uh, to happen in the days ahead for you and opportunities to come. And, and so, uh, man, just thanks again for sharing your story tonight. And yes, sir. Uh, like I said, look forward to seeing you guys down that way. We're going to get down there sometime soon and hang out a little bit and, uh, God bless you, man. Appreciate your time. Yes, sir. And, and the Best of luck to you this spring in the woods.
1: Thank you, Brody. Good luck to you.
0: Talk to you soon. See you. All right, man. What a great conversation with a really, really good dude. Russell is, uh, an amazing story what he's been through and all the stuff that would would pretty much put a lot of people out and uh, a lot of folks would throw in the towel say i'm done i'm done with life i'm done with trying oh man he has just kept on keeping on and it's been cool to see cool to hear his story and so uh, we're praying for him the days to come as he starts a new journey with rolling thunder and just a new opportunity there and continues to help see that company thrive. It's always good for me and for my family, my kids. I, I want to encourage them to listen to stories like this. And I'll have my kids listen to this because I want them to hear and see from a person has, that has had their butt kicked literally and knocked down literally. Uh, but somebody didn't didn't quit, didn't quit and didn't throw in the towel when they could have, uh, but they just kept in the game, kept pushing, kept doing what the doctors said you couldn't do. And, uh, man, here he is today living out some of his dreams and uh, still getting it done in the shop and in the turkey woods. And so this is the kind of guy that make you realize, hey, quit your whining, quit the excuses, get up and make it happen. And uh, so, Russell, again, we appreciate you and your story. Thanks so much. Good stuff. Hey, guys, I appreciate you following us along this week. It's always good to have you. Also, if you take a minute when you get a chance to give us a rating, write us a review. We'd love to hear from you here on the Hunting Roots podcast. Look forward to seeing you back here next week. Shoot straight. God bless. Thank you